0: I'd like to welcome viewers across the United States to this podcast on national security clearances, the process and the pitfalls that many people are victimized by in this process. I am attorney Alan Edmonds, and I have been practicing security clearance, defense and appeals for over 45 years. I am delighted that you're here today. Uh, This is a second episode on the adjudicative process, and we're picking up where we left off from episode number one. We talked about the adjudicated guidelines, and there are 13 guidelines that we spoke about last time, and I highlighted the most popular guidelines that the federal government uses to remove your security clearance. We spoke about guideline B, foreign influence for people that have family or connections with a foreign country. That can be individuals that have relatives that were in the government of, of a foreign country or they were in the military of a foreign country or they own property in a foreign country or they frequently visit that foreign country. Those are all issues you want to call us about uh, to discuss. And as I've indicated before, and it's on the website and on this podcast introduction, the number is 800-481-2526. So foreign influence, as we discussed last time, is a huge area. And then guideline D is sexual behavior. And of course, this uh, is an area that Uh, encompasses all kinds of behavior that individuals can engage in. It includes adultery. It includes pornography. It includes criminal charges arising from domestic violence. Uh, It includes uh, criminal charges that uh, pertain to uh, minors. And uh, this is being alleged more and more and uh, is certainly a basis for a revocation of your clearance. The uh, major guideline that we see often is guideline E, personal conduct. And when we spoke last time, I discussed personal conduct as Arising from the completion of a SF 86 or EQIP. And what happens here is that people fail to complete the EQIP uh, accurately, and the government interprets that inaccuracy as a deliberate falsification. And of course, that goes to the issue of trustworthiness uh, in the national security examination to see if uh, you are eligible for a clearance. The guideline E allegations go beyond just uh, willful or intentional misrepresentation. They also pertain to false statements given on the equip, false statements given to an investigator, and they go to criminal charges. So you can be charged under guideline E, personal conduct, even though you've been charged with guideline J, which is criminal conduct. And as we discussed last time, and I received some phone calls about this, the government will charge multiplicious allegations to make sure that they are successful in revoking your clearance. I've alerted you earlier, and I'm going to repeat this admonition. This is not a friendly environment. The government is not here to ensure that you get a clearance. Rather, the government attorneys and the judges are very much alerted to misbehavior or misfeasance, and they're there to revoke your clearance. Now, a word about judges, they... uh, have taken an oath to adjudicate your case fairly and neutrally. Uh, But sometimes that happens. And sometimes, quite frankly, it doesn't. As you know, I've conducted over 3,500 trials in front of boards and administrative law judges in a variety of different agencies, including the DOD, and the DOE and uh, you can get different results with the same fact pattern Um, Judges by and large are fair and by and large they uh, do listen to the evidence but like every other uh, human endeavor they have biases and prejudices that you and I are unaware of and uh, whether they impact the decision or not we never know so uh, a word to the wise about you appearing in front of a judge by yourself. There's just too many variables and there is so much riding on the security clearance hearing and the security clearance process that involves your job, your career, and of course that impacts your family enormously. We talked about guideline F, which was financial considerations and I told you in our last meeting that was the number one basis and allegation used by the federal government to revoke your clearance and this had to do with uh, poor credit, inability to maintain payments on a loan, but it also dealt with taxes, tax filings and uh, tax payments. I've had clients that didn't file tax returns for five to 10 years. I've had clients that owed the federal government in back taxes tens of thousands of dollars. So there's all kinds of allegations that arise from this. There are people uh, in the country that simply don't believe they should file taxes. And of course, the Department of Defense has a very strong position on that belief. So financial considerations is something that this law firm specializes in. And uh, we take particular pride in presenting a very, very powerful case in court. But we also present a very powerful case in writing. And you should know that when you get a statement of reasons, you have an opportunity to win the case at that early stage And keep your security clearance in place. And it's a very difficult task, but our law firm has been very successful in that area. What happens is we send in a response that can be 25 to 35 pages in length. And it's reviewed. And the government says, you have mitigated the concerns. And they send us an email saying, we are withdrawing the statement of reasons, the SOR, which is the initial notice of revocation of your clearance. So the client is delighted, they received their clearance back and they didn't have to go to a hearing, which is more expensive, very nerve wracking and uh, very time consuming. So we win at the very initial stages and that's why we like to do written responses. As a point of strategy, some law firms say uh, don't do the written response go right to a hearing. I disagree with that uh, posture. I disagree with that strategy because it doesn't allow you an opportunity to have the case resolved at an early stage. That's why this law firm, the Edmonds law firm, charges flat fees for each step of the way. You only pay for what you're using And you're not paying inflated fees for a service that you may or may not use. So financial considerations is a huge guideline. We talked about that last time. And there are many, many variations of financial considerations as well as personal conduct and foreign influence. I'm not going to address each and every one of them later on in this podcast series. We will take the individual guidelines and discuss them and I will use some of my individual cases that receive favorable decisions and we'll go in depth with each guideline so that you can see the intricacies and understand the complexity of the presentation and the defense that uh, we use uh, to succeed for our clients. Nothing's uh, more delightful for me than to win a case and have my client uh, restored to their job and their position, and uh, their family uh, is no longer threatened by a loss of employment. It's an incredible feeling, and uh, I'm happy to uh, help them obtain that result. We talked about guideline G, which was alcohol consumption, and I told you that Alcohol consumption has many varieties relative to the allegations of the federal government. And that means that uh, it's not just an individual getting a DUI. It may be an individual that has an alcohol problem. And by way of strategy, which I promised you in the outline of this particular episode, you should be careful what you say to medical providers and to third-party individuals Uh, Those people become witnesses, and they become a source of information to the federal government. You should know that the federal government will obtain all the medical files from all of your medical providers. And people say, well, how can they do that? And the answer is simple. When you fill out an SF-86 or an EQIP, you give them permission to get those files. And if you block their access to those files, the security clearance process stops and you don't get a clearance. So the message here is that when you go see one doctor, his file may say that you referred to him by a previous doctor. And so the DOD simply follows the breadcrumbs. And they will get all the files. And in those files, of course, are your statements. And any statement that you make in a hospital, in a rehabilitation center, or to a physician are recorded in the notes. And the DOD gets those notes. This is true with guideline H, drug involvement. Anything that is uh, said at rehabilitation or drug involvement, uh, the government can get, and likewise with guideline I, psychological conditions. Uh, psychological conditions is a guideline that's we're seeing more and more uh, allegations of by the federal government. You can overcome those allegations with the right preparation, and uh, our law firm has done this on many occasions. So we spoke about uh, all these guidelines in the first episode, and today I want to talk to you about uh, the evaluation process. What does the DOD look forward to? What do the administrative judges look to to uh, decide an individual's conduct and whether uh, it is serious enough to warrant A denial of the clearance. Well, first of all, they look at the nature and extent and seriousness of the conduct. So if you had too much to drink at a party and somebody saw you drunk, uh, they look at that. But if at that same party you had too much to drink and then you got into a fight with somebody and you inflicted personal harm on them and were arrested, that becomes a much more serious event, and the judges weigh the seriousness of the event. We can go on with that scenario and say, was this an isolated incident in an individual's life, or had they repeated this conduct? Was this a course of conduct? And right here, I want to break away and talk about this because frequently clients call me and say, the Department of Defense gave me a statement of reasons and they went all the way back to high school and I'm 40 or I'm 50 years old and they're discussing drug use in high school or college. How can they possibly do that? And of course, the Second question is, I thought the questions pertain to a restricted period of time of, let's say, seven years. Well, what happens is the government is trying to establish a course of conduct. So if they see an individual that had an alcohol problem in college and then they got out of college and two or three years later, they had a DUI. And then five years after that, they had another DUI. The government will plead or allege a course of conduct that alcohol has been a problem in that person's life for many, many years. And again, that goes to the issue of trustworthiness and risk and whether you are a good candidate to have a security clearance. So course of conduct is frequently raised and takes the allegations back to very early stages in your life when you weren't even aware that sometime in the future you might want a national security clearance. Now, I have posted some 34 short videos on our YouTube channel at Law, and also on our websites if you want a shorter version of some of the concerns. The next area where uh, the judges evaluate your conduct is the circumstances and specifically, did you participate knowingly in the conduct that's in question? This frequently comes up with drug use. A lot of times uh, clients have been in the vicinity of drug use or have participated in uh, partaking in some form of drug that they didn't realize was contained in a substance, such as a baked item, such as cookies or brownies, uh, or they uh, smoked something and didn't know what it contained, and the court is going to focus on the issue of knowledge. Did you knowingly do something? Um, so that comes up and then I already spoke about frequency and recency you know I had a case with a gentleman that had three DUIs and we were going to a hearing on that and um, alcohol was a huge problem in his life he had abstained for a period of time but then he called me two weeks before trial and said I have some bad news I um, had another incident of alcohol use and I got another DUI. So the frequency and the recency becomes an issue. And of course his case at the trial stage was severely compromised because he had been in abstinence for four years and then suddenly relapsed and got his fourth DUI in front of a hearing. The judges also look at the individual's age and maturity. We talked about a course of conduct and how the government will go back to even high school or college when you're a young person. And uh, I frequently argue to the court age-appropriate conduct, meaning this person was in college when they consumed a lot of beer or uh, they got drunk at parties. And the judges look at that, but if they see a course of conduct that the alcohol abuse continued three and four times all the way up to the age of 40 or 50, then the early use or abuse of alcohol mitigates uh, or doesn't mitigate it, aggravates uh, the situation and a person's age becomes less significant. So these are some of the issues that the judges focus on. There's one other I want to mention, which is motivation for the conduct. Well, this frequently comes up in domestic violence situations. A spouse learns that another spouse has behaved in a certain way uh, or a couple is arguing and they're drinking alcohol. And then it escalates into violence, uh, pushing, shoving, or uh, battery. And uh, the judge wants to know what's the motivation, what angered the individual so much that they would actually uh, physically assault their spouse. And uh, it can be infidelity. It could be financial. Uh, There could be a lot of different reasons. But the judges do look at Motivation of the conduct, and uh, finally, the judges f- focus on, and and all good attorneys want to argue the likelihood of reoccurrence, and what does that mean? Well, we want to argue to the court that judge this uh, behavior is no longer relevant because my client no longer engages in this type of behavior, and to prove that, we have a period of time. Of three, four, or five years when there's been no recidivism, no repeat conduct, uh, no criminal arrests, uh, no complaints of domestic violence. And so the judges will um, consider that when they deliberate and reach a decision. Um, I love to argue that the regulations do not contemplate human perfection. Uh, In fact, the regulations have what's called mitigating factors, which means they recognize that people make mistakes. The question is how severe are the mistakes and how frequent are the mistakes? So that's an overview of uh, some of the concerns and the evaluation that the judges used uh, in the hearings. Now, they also use those same evaluating factors when they receive your response to SOR. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they get a statement of reasons and they talk to their FSO, their field security officer, or their S2 if they're in the military. And they're told, all you have to do is write a simple one or two page response and uh, that should be adequate. Um, in my opinion that's terrible advice Um, our responses run 25 pages long they're very detailed and uh, we do not uh, use a uh, template or anything to do a response each case is done independently and differently because every client is different and we argue the unique factors of our clients. And that information is obtained after we conduct an extensive interview. So again, you don't want to engage in trying to do this yourself. I know that many of my clients have PhDs and they're very, very experienced and brilliant people. But you just don't want to engage in that type of behavior because you have so much riding on the results and people want to do their own responses maybe they want to save money but whatever they want to uh, do this themselves because they've been told by their security officer that it's easily done and um, as i've said i don't subscribe to that advice at all and um, you'll find that people that are represented by attorneys especially experienced attorneys do far better in the security, clearance, appeals, and defense process than people that represent themselves. So I wanted to uh, share that with you. Um, If you have questions, call me. This is Attorney Alan Edmonds, and I'm at 800-481-2526. I want to thank you for uh, listening today. Uh, We are going to... Post these podcasts every week, and uh, available to you. And I'm delighted to have this opportunity to share this information with you. Thank you.